Humboldt Holding Up is sponsored by Cypress Grove and the North Coast Co-op. And since by clicking on this, you have identified yourself as a person who is not opposed to podcasts, we wanted to let you know that the North Coast Co-op's cheese department has their own podcast, if you can believe it. (laughs) Steph, will you say the name of the Co-op's cheese podcast? Because I just can't. I'm actually so excited to say it. It's called Cheese the Day, Andrew. Yes. Yes, it is. One more time. Cheese the day. That's right. Listen to the co-op's resident cheese nerds nerd out hard on cheese. Uh, One more time, Steph. Cheese the day. Find it wherever you find your podcasts. And speaking of cheese, Humboldt Holding Up is also coincidentally enough brought to you by Cypress Grove Cheese, who reminds you that the holidays are a great time to share locally produced products with your far off friends and family. That's right. So why not send your loved ones some cheese like Cypress Grove's award-winning Humboldt Fog, Purple Haze, Midnight Moon, and more. You can find Cypress Grove in local grocery stores or online at cypressgrovecheese.com. And now let's get on with this cheesy podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's Humboldt Holding Up, the completely stuffed with turkey podcast. Can I be honest with you, Steph, is that I, I, I actually did not even have turkey for Thanksgiving this year. Wow. Well, I, it's a confession, little space that I, I, I'm just going to, it's the thing you say. I don't know. Anyway, my name's Andrew Goff. <laughs> and I'm Stephanie McGarry. I actually did eat turkey. I, I like turkey. I feel like so many people are like, I don't like turkey and I don't eat it on Thanksgiving. Yeah. It's it's silly to me. It's, well, you're, it's you're a very traditional person. I yes, exactly. You know this about me. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway. anyway, yeah, you know, tie-ins are hard. So I'm just gonna jump right into this and say that today on the show, we're gonna be talking to Eureka's chief of police. For three more days, Steve Watson. Yeah, as you will recall, a month ago or so, we received the news that Watson would be uh, stepping down after four years as chief and 16 years with the department here in Eureka. I, surprising. I, I, we, yeah. I remember the, when we got that that email, kind of a hush went over the newsroom. We were like, what? Yes, the timing, uh, you know, the timing yeah, was well, a little strange. Well, yeah, yeah as you say, there was like, there's there kind of like natural speculation that maybe the timing of this had something to do with the imminent release of the report on the investigation into the texting thread between EPD officers that was chronicled in that that SACB article earlier this year that uh, upset a lot of people justifiably. But uh, Watson has said that is not the case and that he just wants to have uh, more focus for his family. Yeah, so we at Loco just wanted to have the chief on for an exit interview of sorts and talk about what during his tenure went right, what challenges Eureka still faces, and what he thinks his legacy is. And of yeah. course, we're going to talk a little bit about that texting scandal as well, I'm sure. Let's uh, let's get him in here. Hey, Chief. Howdy. Howdy. Hey, How's it going? Hi, it's, pretty- it's- it's fine. <laughs> Every, everything's weird. As fine. I'm sure you're yeah. I think we've all gotten really used to that response uh, in the last couple of years. Fine. Everything's fine. Fine has been redefined. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, it's, you, said, you said a mouthful there. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Right. Well, so so three days from when this airs, you, you will no longer be the, the chief of police of Eureka. How, how does that feel? 
I have very mixed emotions about that. I get asked that question almost every day. Sure. Uh, on the one hand, I have a little bit of growing excitement about the possibilities of what comes next. You know, obviously being a police officer in today's time uh, is just has an additional amount of weight on it now. And the higher up you are, by the time you get to be chief of police, you know, you carry an immense burden on your shoulders all the time. And you know, we did before the events of the last two years with the pandemic and the, the murder of George Floyd and all of that, but it, even more so today. And so I can't even imagine what it'll be like not to have that. Uh, it's a burden we willingly uh, bear. Uh, we know it going into the job um, and you have to go into this with your eyes wide open. And, and so mixed because I'm gonna miss uh, the connections. I'm gonna miss the people. I'm gonna miss the opportunity to serve you know, at this level, you know, our community, um, I still feel like there's a lot of work left to be done, Sure. And, uh, but you know, you could put that, there's always going to be work left to be done. Yeah. And so, yeah, it makes mixed emotions. It's very bittersweet. I think yeah. that word applies. I'm not sure if you had, yeah. had mentioned it, uh, before, but are, are you staying in, in the community? Uh, that's the second most common question. That right. I like, are, We're yeah, just getting like, the obvious ones out, right. out of, off the top. Sorry. <laughs> right. As, as soon as you retire, people just assume you're fleeing the state or something. And no, I don't have any plans uh, to move at this time. I can't promise that you know, what the future will bring, but uh, we do. I, I was born and raised in Humboldt County. You know, we love our home. Yeah. have friends and family here. We'll see where the future takes us. Well, you, you talk about, you know, it's still feeling like there, there's work to do. And I'm, I'm sure you're, you're already tired of answering this question too. Like why retire now? Uh, but it seems like the place that we have to start because I, I know that when this announcement hit the, the loco inbox, we were all pretty surprised, you know, it was kind of shocking to us. Um, you know, obviously the decision comes at a pretty tumultuous time, both in the city and in the department um, and in the world, if we're being honest. So why, why step away from this work now? You know, I this is earlier than I had originally planned or thought. I thought that I would wait, uh, let's say another year, then take a look there, still hadn't decided. I, I knew I wasn't going to do another seven years in the job, but I was looking at the next one to two or three years maybe. And it's just kind of a confluence of events with the timing. Uh, one is, uh, you know, who knows when the world goes back to, to usual. I do feel that I've carried and helped lead the department and community through uh, the worst of it, so to speak. Um, you know, we see light at the end of the tunnel now with the pandemic, um, you know, the budget's turned around. Staffing is tough for everybody in law enforcement right now, but we are, again, making progress on that. And uh, we have a number of, of cadets going to the academy this January others that are being backgrounded for the, the one in the summer, fired a couple of officers. I think we're only one down, down one dispatch position now. We were down 30%, uh, you know, a couple months ago and a new animal patrol officer, new community service officers. So we're making some progress uh, that's tenuous always, but um, in that, that regard, things are trending upward. And again, the city's budget is so much better today. In terms of the texting scandal, that thing has drug on so many more months than I wanted and expected. And I know the city manager echoes that in much of the department. Uh, I hear the word tumultuous all the time. It's been being used for eight months. It was yeah. very tumultuous. That's really okay. not how I would define it right now. People have just, it's been eight months. 
and uh, it is resolving. We've already settled a couple of the, I can't get into the details, but um, you know, the outcome for a couple people on the fringes of the investigation. Uh, yeah. it, I can tell you right now, I've read the whole report from front to finish or okay. front to back and yeah. uh, every word and all of that. And there's no, uh, in my opinion, major surprises to me in it. It's kind of what I expected to see. There were some inferences, like this was some giant squad of people all involved at the same level. Not yeah. the case, primarily two principals. I think it's very clear to anyone that's read the reporting on this. Um, and so those steps, I've, I've been in a position to take the decisive next steps in that, uh, which was something I asked to be able to do. Uh, still, now that my retirement date was announced with only five, six weeks lead time, uh, I don't know I'll be able to see the whole process through due to due process and all of that, but I've been yeah. able to substantially weigh in. And so, you know, who knows? You could wait forever for some of these things. Um, my family has asked, been asking me to retire for a couple of years now, and I keep putting it off. I've got children leaving the home, going to college, one that just married and moved to Tennessee. Uh, so time with them is very, very important uh, to me. I'm kind of at that critical juncture. I have five kids, three still yeah. on the home, um, but the oldest three are either left or on the cusp of that. Uh, I call it retiring, not retiring, me, uh, or not really retiring, meaning I'm retiring from this job, but I'm not done. You know, I'll do other things in life going forward other than playing golf or, or fishing <laughs> yeah. or playing golf even. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, so probably related to the industry, I, I feel like I have a lot of experience in training. I'm in the middle mm -hmm. of my graduate degree in the industry, public safety and law enforcement leadership with the University of San Diego. I'll probably teach, I might consult. Um, so we'll see where this goes. I'll serve at a different level. Right. Yeah. Well, you, you, so you, you brought up the, the texting thing and, you know, about the time that you announced your retirement uh, is when we found out that the the investigation and the report um, were completed, and that's been that's been about a month uh, ago now, I, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, so what what is so what is what are we waiting for? What is the the holdup with that? And and so um, and I understand this is this is still a great a topic of great community interest, so it's appropriate that we talk yeah. about it. I'm obviously limited in what I can say. Um, due to, to the law, but um, the, the draft report we got, it might've been about six weeks before I announced my retirement. The final report was about a month. I can tell you, and the city manager has reiterated this many times, um, my retirement announcement has absolutely nothing to do with the investigation. Uh, in fact, I asked the investigator and attorney for him, hey, when you're doing this, look at me and look at my command staff. Did we fail to do something? Was, was there any efforts below the rank of chief, for instance, to cover anything up? You know, I want answers to that. And they did that. And the conclusion of the report is no, uh, not sustained, not founded on those regards. And so you're not going to find anything in there that reflects, you know, on some failure on my part. Now, obviously, I am the chief of police. This occurred on my watch. And so I'm always going to have, you know, a measure of responsibility and I feel great responsibility, but it's not because of something that came out in that investigation. Uh, you know, it's multifaceted and complicated, the different reasons that go into my decision to retire. Uh, now I've shared some of them, you know, with you. Uh, part of it is I've, and I just don't want to, I don't want to uh, muddy the waters by going down side paths, but um, I kind of felt like I've, I've reached the pinnacle of what I can do right now. And it's a good time 
for someone else to step in and see if they can build on the foundations laid and move the department to the to the next level. And I'll kind of just leave it at, at that. Yeah. So straight up, though, you know, with as far as the, the investigation and the report, you 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 have faith in the process. You feel like this was thorough and and you're you're, you're happy with the at least the outcome of, of that aspect of it. Right. And the most important part is the outcome. So I am confident that we have a very thorough, very complete, uh, you know, appropriately uh, wide scale uh, investigation that's given us the answers that we need and that the public would expect. Uh, Was it a perfect process? No, we did something we don't normally do, which went outside. And so there were delays. There were some, uh, I have some personal uh, big frustrations with some communication issues, but the investigation itself is solid. And, uh, you know, and it's done. It's complete now. So we're there now. It's, it was the attorneys, the legal team, the city hired, um, reviewing the investigators report. Uh, providing feedback, if there was anything else that was needed, making sure that the evidence supports the conclusions of that investigation and the proposed discipline that um, uh, the city and, and me as chief of police is proposed going forward as appropriate. And I can't get into the details of that, but making sure everything aligns and supports the decisions uh, that are being made and now have been made. Yeah. Is there any, any, any time frame on, on when that would be released ultimately? Again, the next steps have already been done within the last, uh, uh, you know, one to three weeks or so. But now there's processes that ensue with those notifications. And again, um, I know the city manager has kind of been funneling this through his office uh, over the last several months, and he has direct contact with the attorneys as well. And so when the outcome is finished, the desire is, and we've been on the same page about this, is to be able to share as much as we legally and responsibly can yeah. with the community. And th- there'll be some questions regarding what we can release with changes to the law that the attorneys will have to weigh in on as well. But usually these type of cases, there's so much we cannot share with the public. Uh, we can't name specific discipline actions that were taken, for example, typically. Okay. I, w- I was looking back at some of the, uh, the reporting that Luca did around the time that the, the SACP article came out. And, and, you know, there were people wondering uh, why the officers involved in the text and the question couldn't just be fired. And at that time, you said that you, you know, you shared in, in the community's distress, I think was your word. Uh, but you also identified the California's public safety officers procedural bill of rights as, as the thing preventing swift action uh, in a situation like this. You know, eight months later, we're still unresolved. Uh, it, it feels like, you know, does does that Bill of Rights need to be reformed in your view? Well, there is the government code as well, and some other sections that support the the peace officers' Bill of Rights. For example, um, I do believe, especially the nature of a job where every day uh, you're forced to make it sometimes impossible decisions under conditions that are tense, uncertain rapidly evolving, that's language from the U.S. Supreme Court regarding use of force, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, and so you'll have no one ever do the job, you know, if they don't have some protections, but is there room for improvement? Sure. And that's starting to take place with legislation in this this state, you know, California, surprisingly, where we went everywhere else, has some of the strictest confidentiality rights laws in the nation for this. And so that's starting to open up. I don't believe it should be an, uh, an open check because that could be unfair. Let's say an officer is accused of some horrible thing like child abuse that did not happen. 
you throw their name out under the umbrella of that, even though they're cleared and, and in some ways are tainted, you know, for life. So there has to be reasonable exceptions, but transparency is hugely important along with accountability uh, to the community and their trust in police officers. And we recognize that the industry is increasingly recognizing that. And to the extent we can be tra transparent and show that accountability we want and need to be, at least that's been my position on this. But mm -hmm. I do believe it's important to protect the rights of public safety and, and police officers as well and make sure there's appropriate due process. Because otherwise you get tried in the court of public opinion and the pressure on elected officials and others and maybe some unfair decisions are being made. It's important that we get it right and we strike that balance mm -hmm. of accountability, but also objectivity and again, being fair uh, to all, all involved. Would you say, you know, in, in this instance though, when, I mean, you know, the, the, this information got put out there, is this an instance where you, you, you see a weakness maybe in, in the Bill of Rights and, and the way that it is applied because of just how long this process has, has taken and, it, you know, does, it, does that erode you know, uh, the public's opinion of, of the department uh, as a result, you know, like these are, like, these are things you have to weigh, I, I would assume. Right. You know, I don't know that I'd be prepared yet to say that there's the flaw in the Peace Officers Bill of Rights have got us to where we at. we're at. We have one year from the date that we knew or should have known, or I should say somebody in a position to act upon it, like a supervisor of uh, the events that happened to wrap it up, or at least take the next steps, conclusion conclude it, have a finding and move on to the outcome. Mm -hmm. So we still have a few months left on that. And that's built into um, the Peace Officers Bill of Rights for the officers' rights and protections, the department's needs in the community in that sense. Uh, you know, having it so, it, you know, maybe the fault lies more, if I want to use that word, with just the pace that was beyond the city's control in this case. Mm -hmm. Like there's okay. nothing I could have personally done to speed up the investigation, ultimately right. having handed it off and outsourced it uh, through that. Um, so I kind of lost the ability in one sense to do that. Uh, but at the same time, you maintain that objectivity, that independence, that separation that some people might be concerned about. Yeah, yeah you know, I think they're going to be one of the big things that people don't understand is how can someone be on paid administrative leave? In some states, you you can't, or they, they, you don't have to be, I should say. In California, it's part of, of their due process rights. It's very clear, and we shared some case law, or at least some legal language regarding that. Mm -hmm. um, I can tell you, uh, you know, it's still not, yes, they're being paid, they're at home. Can you imagine, uh, you know, the stress level of any officer that finds himself off on, you know, under a, especially a very public investigation during this time? So it's not a walk in the park. Uh, with that, um, in fact, most officers that I've seen go through this, some of them are completely cleared, come back to work like uh, you know regulars, some lose their jobs, some have some level of discipline, but ultimately they come back to work, but they hate being off that long because you get bored out of your mind. You have this uncertainty, these unanswered questions and the stress uh, of all of that as well. It's not easy on them and their families. And by no means am I minimizing the severity of what happened, but that is a reality in these cases. A lot of people don't, don't think about. Um, most would rather themselves have this wrapped up much sooner. And again, it's just unfortunate it took eight months uh, to get to that stage. Uh, you know, I don't really have a whole lot more to add to that again beyond I wish it would have been sooner, 
as long as it was, it was never at the expense of the quality of the investigation. And you can imagine uh, when you have multiple witnesses to interview, uh, it, you know, and attorneys for most, if not all of them, to coordinate interviews with, everyone's busy, how many months it could take to get those all done. Sometimes you have to go back and interview again. There's evidence to go through, you know, and so when you have a larger investigation like this, it's going to take more time. And we knew that. I just didn't expect eight months. Yeah. What, what, did, the, what did this whole situation do to um, morale within the, the department from, from where you sit? Yeah, it definitely had an impact, you know, and it's still the gift that's still giving, so to speak, to a certain extent, <laughs> though I think things have foremost settled. Uh, quite a bit. A lot of anxiety is uh, dissipated. You know, people, I think, realize at this point, there's no bombshells that are going to emerge or something, because you just never know, right, where all this mm -hmm. goes. Um, you know, probably beyond what most people that have been following this situation kind of have a sense of already. In terms of, I mean, branching off into multiple other major type of issues or wrapping up a large number of people. That's not mm. the case in this particular investigation. Um, we did have one thing that came out that resulted in someone else being placed on administrative leave that I, I think it would be fair to say it's not directly related to the okay. texting part, but it came out through the process. I cannot speak anymore to who or what or the circumstances, but that was kind of about the extent of that. Well, when you have people put on administrative leave like this, you know, you mentioned already that, that there's been staffing issues with the department. And although you've said that those are being resolved a little bit, I mean, in addition- A lot of to, work still to do, especially sure. on the officer side, but yes, but, starting but to make progress. In addition to just the, the stress, you know, brought on by the whole situation, does it also put a lot of burden on the department as far as, you know, covering the, the jobs that these, these officers do? Like, how do you fill- uh, their positions in their absence. It, absolutely. And in particular in this case, because it involves a senior sergeant and a captain. Yeah. And I've only got two captains. Traditionally or historically, this department's had a combination of three lieutenants and captains and can easily use that much. So it comes down to the better part of eight months, one captain and me, uh, you know, with some help from our other supervisors and managers, of course, but doing the work of of you know, those missing positions. And in terms of a sergeant, uh, yeah, then that, the patrol is going to face that added burden as well as people have to fill in um, you know, for the supervisor that's off. And so you know, let's say when we were down 10 police officer positions, uh, 25 to 27% of our sworn force just a few months ago, well, then I had a captain, a sergeant off on top of that. And so that at, but they're on the books, right? They're at, we can't fill, we can't recruit to fill positions because you, you got to see what the outcome is going to be right. uh, through that. And so, yes, you have the absence of those personnel, kind of like when you have someone off on a work-related injury for a long, long time. We had another sergeant off for about a year, um, you know, from a serious work-related injury that ultimately had to retire. Um, and so it's added to the crunch. And then there's just the uncertainty, like when's this going to end? It's not fun reading about this uh, in the, the media, especially maybe a, a news source outside the area that doesn't understand the true dynamics, the politics within the department, the city or community, maybe the other things that the people understand and realize about the Eureka Police Department. Because here's the bottom line. 
this was very serious. Uh, it's going to be dealt with decisively. We need to, all of that. But the summit Eureka Police Department is not this texting investigation. And so inferences that it is, that it's representative of the whole, I take great issue with because I know that it's not. I see the honorable men and women, the great majority of them that serve bravely. I see the community input that's constantly coming in through all of this, the support and understanding for the progress the department's made and the efforts and sacrifices of the men and women that work here. And so it's important to remember that while we don't minimize what happened. Well, yeah, I'd like to, you know, try and put this in the larger tech uh, context of, you know, the story of EPD, because I think like during your tenure and the one of your predecessor, Andy Mills, like you both received praise for like kind of a perceived transformation in how the department um, approaches its mission as opposed to maybe how it was run in previous times 10 years ago or so. Like, I I guess this is more of a larger, like your your legacy question. I don't know if you think in those terms, but like, how, how how would you say like, You've seen EPD change in the in the time you've been there, both as chief and and in, during your previous assignments. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the department and the institution of policing, coupled with the expectations and demands of society, have radically changed in the last you know seventeen years that I've been here. And uh, sometimes organizations, ours included. Uh, can be slow to make some of those changes. I think that the pace of our evolution to begin to match those ever-evolving demands has really started to pick up under Chief Mills and then, you know, under my leadership um, as well. And, you know, when I was mentored by Chief Mills, um, but I also watched what previous chiefs and captains did it and learned from them, you know, as well uh, from both the good things and the mistakes, just like I learned from my own, my missteps and the things I'd like to believe we did well. Each one's a learning experience. If you go into it with an attitude that continual improvement is needed and that you've never arrived and that there's always room to do better and not being afraid to own your mistakes and your shortcomings, have those difficult conversations and uh, fail forward if that's what it takes. And so yeah, it's changed a lot. And I think we've made a tremendous amount of progress in the last few years. Um, you know, there's empirical data for that. If people mm-hmm. just dig a little deeper, look at our report on 21st century policing, uh, for example. Yes, the texting in- uh, scandal uh, shows that we've not arrived yet, or at least not the whole department, right? We've got some work to do. But yeah. um, you can let it bury you and crush you and circle the wagons. Or you can go, hey, this is tough but it's our reality. There's also an opportunity in this situation uh, to make positive changes, maybe some changes you might not have been able to make without something like this. And that's the attitude that I've chose to, to address this issue with. And um, when I'm gone, there'll still be some change left to make, but I think what this is going to also ultimately as painful as it is, help us make some, some really crucial next steps that will really help set the department up for the future. Uh, and I'm talking a lot and I apologize. I just have a lot. No, no, that's what this that's is for. Good. Steve. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, We're uh, that's an interview of you. We want you to talk. Please. I feel like I'm dominating the conversation. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, no, please. So, I'll be retired by the time this thing this is. This is your last, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's your last. Well, this is your exit interview. Get it all yeah. out yeah. of there. So take it. You know, there's a lot of talk about the old guard and I use that yeah. term cautiously because I know there's some honorable men and women that worked here that take umbrage because, you know, they're thinking of the 
you know, the many people that, that did serve honorably before, and it's almost like they feel like they're getting lumped into that. And remember, you know, we each police to our era in the expectations and the realities that we have. Now, that will never excuse something like, let's say, slavery ever. But, you know, when you judge people to a certain extent, there has to be some context put with that, right? And yeah. uh, there are definitely, uh, you know, I, maybe I'll put it this way. I think that uh, the last bastion of some old ways, not all the old ways, but some old ways that need to change are falling through. Okay. You know, the yeah. last gasp of some old attitudes and ways is how I see this. And very few that remain that perhaps have not bought into the future, you know, are on an island. And that's would you say, would you say as a direct uh, correlation to this, to, to the texting thing, you, you, you're, 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 you're drawing that uh, comparison that the, the, this is this is what has led to the to the the fall of as you say the the old bastion. <laughs> it, it was already well in place, uh, but I think this is that again a final push that may you know really reinforce that you know attitudes and ways of speaking and thinking need to change. We're going in a different direction. There's no room for anybody that's not going to keep up with us. Well, that's just yeah. the way that it is. Yeah, you've certainly seen, you know, that that right. People are not going to stand for that, uh, and with just the, the the way the world is. I, I mean, what? How do you ensure, like, you know, so you're going to have a, a a successor? Like, how do you ensure that whoever that is continues down this path uh, of culture change that that you've now worked your time as chief towards? You know, that's a very good question. I'm not going to have any real input in that, obviously, because council's still meeting with the city manager, uh, you know, to work out what that process is going to look like. I think the city managers uh, outlined some very broad based, like probably a national search. I would expect that national search that's still open to the any in-house candidates that are qualified, uh, just like they did in my case. Um, I imagine, but I don't know this factually, that they'll want community input into this process and they'll set up some systems in place to get that, whatever that looks like. Um, there's been town halls in the past or other methods of, of that as they go through this decision process. And, uh, you know, this decision is huge. You're right. Uh, the wrong person can stagnate the department or erase years of progress, uh, you know, or tread water or even take things in the wrong direction. Right person can take it better than any and I, for instance, could, and this will be a positive. And I hope sincerely that, that happens, um, you know, that someone comes in and just is the perfect fit for the situation this time, this is their time. And I do expect they'll make some changes uh, that hopefully they'll, they'll build off the platform or the foundation that we built. They'll take some things that are working they like, but they're also going to have to make it their own and move forward. And that's part of the natural change process. Um, you know, chiefs always look at their legacy, certainly. I think you used that word, Andrew. Uh, mm-hmm. And that is very important to me, you know, and it, it, it kind of okay. stinks that one of the legacy things right now, if you Google, you're going to see the texting thing. Not yeah. something I would obviously want the department or me to be linked so much with, but you know what? We don't get to choose. Unless we make them ourselves. we don't always get to choose our crises in the time of it. Like the pandemic, my life would have been so much easier and everyone else's if no pandemic during my tenure as chief. Uh, but it, somebody had yeah. to be there, right? So I'd rather it be me 
uh, you know, and than somebody else. And so it's kind of the way that I, I look at this, um, you know, it's unfortunate, but it happened. These events happened over a year ago. I'm the one that set the helm at the time. And so it's my responsibility to deal with it. And again, I rather than feel sorry for myself, I just look at it. What's the opportunity here? And, you know, it's the crucible, the fire that builds leaders. I have learned so much over the last two years. Uh, I mean, like a lifetime education, as have many of the men and women here. And so there's value in that as well, as hard as this has been and embarrassing. Just another reminder that Humble Holding Up is brought to you by the North Coast Co-op. And as somebody who uh, operates, works in Old Town Eureka, let me just say, when uh, those lunchtime hunger pangs hit, I find myself drawn to the salad bar at the North Coast Co-op. What I do is I, I go, I take the spinach. I really go overboard on the, uh, the, the, the tofu chunks. And then, <laughs> um, some, you know, a bunch of onions. I also, I'll throw some chicken in there with the tofu. I go heavy on the protein step is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Make it as much like not a vegetable salad as possible. <laughs> It was really hard for me, you know, the, the salad bar went away during COVID for obvious yeah, reasons for a little bit. I remember, um, I remember that was back. really hard on you. It was really yeah. hard on me, but it's yeah. back. And, uh, oh, and then I put, I, I cover it all with the, the balsamic vinaigrette. Uh, yeah. Cause it's like, in my mind, I'm doing something healthy for myself, but I don't know if I ultimately, that's what happens. I really, I, I, I like a, I like a fat salad. Well, there's no place better to make yourself a fat salad than at the uh, North Coast Co-op. So let's let's go get a salad right now, Andrew. I can't wait. Right now! So Andrew, with the holidays coming up and all of like the family parties and friend things, you know, I'm always looking for different snacks to give people. And one of my favorite things to do is just to do like a nice cheese board. Yeah. You ever do this? You ever just like put out cheese, a, a variety of cheeses for people? Well, I'm a ho- I'm a horrible host, so oh, okay. I don't I don't usually do that. But I I aspire to be better, and so I will learn from your example that uh, Cypress Grove. Uh, that's what you're talking about, right? That's the cheese that you put out. Well, yeah, it's always at least one of them. I definitely got to include mm. some some Cypress Grove cheese. Uh, I love the classic Humboldt Fog is a favorite. Purple Haze, people just love it, and so Cypress Grove cheese is just part of the holidays for me. Yeah. Honestly, go to go to Steph's house and not my house. This is the lesson here. <laughs> or, She's got go the Cypress get, Grove. or go get some of your own Cypress Grove cheese. You can find it in local stores, pretty much any local grocery store or online at cypressgrovecheese.com. Yeah. Since you mentioned a, a little bit about the search for your replacement last month when the outpost talked to the city manager, Slattery, he said the the city was already working on naming an interim chief to serve in t- until they can you know, figure out this broader search process for a more permanent replacement. But we haven't heard anything else about that yet. And obviously you're like very, very close uh, to the end <laughs> of your uh, position yeah. now, uh, or like Andrew said, I think by the time, yeah, by the time we air this, it will just be a couple of days really. So do you know anything, any update on that yet? So the interim process went entirely through the city manager, to my knowledge. I believe uh, I've heard a name. I'd be hesitant to say it, but so I'll say it like, say it. I'm not, I, <laughs> I'm not like, that's something like Todd Jarvis. I think a former San Diego 
uh, assistant chief or something. Okay, so that's that's happening. You're you're saying? Yeah. Well, I I'm not 100 remembering the name correctly, but that's the name. Okay, I, but it but I it heard. is that person from San Diego that we've maybe heard about. Okay. I, it's my understanding they were they're retired from San Diego Police Department, and okay. so they're in background. They've been in background now since around the time I announced my retirement or that process. But um, it sounds like there may have been a, a little bit of a hiccup in the process that caused a delay because our hope was that we could get that person in place to coincide with my last days here right. to ease the transition. So there may be a little bit of a window where you know uh, there'll be an acting chief before the interim chief is in place. And then it's my understanding the interim chief, the plan is for them to be in place however many months it takes to do a search for, find, and hire a permanent chief and then make that transition. Yeah, that's kind of interesting to me. Like, I mean, if they're hiring an interim chief, like they they must not be able to do, they just don't do nearly as much of a process to find an interim chief. I mean, this is still somebody who is gonna be our chief for a, a little while. Like, like, why do we have to do the interim thing and, and not just find somebody before if we're especially if we're hiring them from an outside of the area and it's not like a, an internal person who's just being appointed to this position so those are great questions and again that's ultimately this the city manager and, and council's right. decision on that there's pros and cons both ways yeah um you know right now with our staffing situation i could see the benefits of having an interim from outside because uh, then you're down to like one captain being acting right. chief and there's no captains being captains, you know, potentially mm-hmm. depending on timing and outcome of, of one of the elements of the investigation or only two when really we have three in a chief. That's a, a huge workload for one or two people to have to carry, uh, you know, through that. And so that can't be, you know, that's current reality right now. You know, and you gain some, you know, valuable outside experience and perspective. Usually the interims don't go crazy trying to make a bunch of changes unless there's something (laughs) that's an emergency level because they're not here to stay. They're to stabilize, you know, an organization for a while. Uh, You know, and I I don't know that they would want to drag it out too far trying to go through a selection process for one, uh, you know, because again, they're only going to be here a few months. That further delays the, the hunt for a permanent chief. Yeah. in here. So again, I see the pros and pros and cons, but I think for that reason, uh, to me, it does make the most sense to go the interim route for now. Hopefully they pick somebody that's great, the good fit for this, uh, no controversy or anything like that in the background If somebody that comes in and uh, fills that important role. Downey did it in Fortuna. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was yeah. um, a chief that did that in Arcata for a while. Right. Right. Well, since we've you know mentioned it a couple of times too, I feel like we should talk a little bit about this staffing crisis that's obviously not unique to EPD. You know, we've seen it with the Arcata Police Department, the the Humboldt County Sheriff's Office, and you know, it's not just in Humboldt either. You know, statewide and nationally too, we're just kind of seeing that it seems difficult right now to to staff police uh, positions and. Why do you think that that is happening? You mentioned, you know, the more of a burden that seems to come along with the job right now and and a lot of maybe expectations and perceptions changing of of police and policing. Do you think that these are all all factors or... Do we have a couple more hours? To- <laughs> <laughs> you know, this, Let this, me just we, open yeah. this big 
can of worms <laughs> now. Uh, it is a very multifaceted and complicated problem that has yeah. a lot of uh, uh, outside environmental factors, many beyond our control, you know, local agency control. So, I mean, about two years ago, we were struggling with staffing. We actually, by the way, right before COVID, like pretty much arrived, we did it. I think I was down like maybe one position in police and I think dispatch was nearly fully staffed after having a crisis the previous summer where we were down 50%. And, you know, we did some creative things, worked hard, made some progress despite the challenges. But uh, in 2018, when uh, Greg Sparks was a city manager, came to him, like, what do we do? And so we uh, unallocated, or I should say froze, I think it was four or five police officer positions uh, to give an immediate 5% pay increase that the city cannot otherwise afford across the board to all sworn officers, sergeant and below, and all dispatchers. And, you know, to kind of help a little bit because we were losing some competitiveness with our, our neighboring agencies. Uh, and we did the math. We went back 10 years, and historically, the department had been down four to five positions on average over that. Mm. And so it's, as you see, this has been a problem that's went back for a while. Where we are today, well, let me back up a little. The economy is always a factor. So when there's lots of other jobs out there, uh, good paying jobs, fewer people tend to apply for police departments. That would be an example. What we're dealing with today is a combination of things like that uh, to people just not wanting to go into policing because of all the negative national narrative. And that's persisted for over five years now but it became more acute, acute in the summer of 2020 and has continued to this day, you know, and now there is these, this big push to prosecute cops, prosecute cops. In some cases, absolutely righteously, we get that, but it's also the pendulum teams tends to swing into extremes. It's almost like this manic uh, hunt, uh, you know, to try to find fault or to prosecute a cop for every use of force that's significant or every shooting. And that's a, a big burden to bear when you're in the industry out there. And, you know, often you're reacting to situations that someone else is, is controlling, you know, and again, coming back to that tense, uncertain, rapidly evolving situations, we have to make split second life or death, death decisions. And then you're judged, you know, forever by someone that's never walked in your shoes or, or been there. And, uh, you know, we need to be accountable. We need to be questioned. There needs to be very thorough um, objective investigations. And when there's wrongdoing, it needs to be decisively dealt with. But, hey, folks, every police shooting is not unlawful. Some are lawful and awful. I get that. Uh, And others, you know, there are there's been some examples of very unjustified ones where officers need to lose their job and go to prison. But the great majority aren't that but yet they're treated in many ways like they are and again or just a use of force or whatever so you have that has really been a turnoff and has also caused uh, the anti-police rhetoric many people in the industry to leave to say they're, they're done and move on to a different career we've seen that dynamic we're in an isolated rural area our pay trails most of the state uh, you know, and, and why will people come to Humboldt if they don't have a connection or a route here, or at least come to Humboldt and stay in Humboldt County, right? They come from Walnut Creek, cops are making $150,000 a year or whatever, uh, mm. and their family's down there. They get a job up here. We train them very well. Our officers are often in high demand in places like Reading because they're trained and so highly experienced uh, because city, Eureka is such a, a busy, gritty city. 
but then they leave in two, three years and they go back to where their family and friends are. Plus they make a lot more. So that's always a challenge, you know, as well. And so we have a, a smaller hiring pool. There's only about 137,000 people in the County sure. and agencies like Arcadia and the Sheriff's Office, we're all competing for this pool. So those are some of the reasons, you know, that are, are there. Uh, this texting scandal, uh, that doesn't help morale. Uh, but yeah. I don't see that as the evidence from the exit interviews and talking to people as the, the driver of our, our current situation. Uh, it's been other reasons that have been given. Uh, the other thing is as staffing gets worse and workload increases, stress goes on. That is a factor. People get burned out, uh, you know, exposure to trauma. You know, we get called on people's worst day, not their best day. They don't call us to come over and share a happy right. moment. They call us because something really bad happened, often of their own making, but not always. And you see terrible things. I mean, dispatchers have been on the phone when people died or children die while tearful parents, you know, are begging for a miracle and for help. Yeah. Dispatchers also have helped deliver babies. And so you get that, but the trauma exposure is very high officers, you know, sometimes yeah. tread in, in blood and gore, you know, mm -hmm. in misery, they swim in a toxic soup. And that's a tough burden to, to bear. Fortunately, our industry is learning officer wellness needs to be a priority. Uh, even our department's taken a number of concrete steps in that direction. Uh, I contracted with a, uh, a licensed family therapist uh, in her small company from out of the area. She's um, known as an expert on first responders. They specialize, highly regarded. And uh, so she came up here in June for mandatory, her staff met completely confidential one-on-one -on -one with every employee for a 45 minute session, just to break the ice, to make the connection. If they were willing to talk great, if not, that's their choice. I'll never know what was said, but some made connections with follow-up appointments where they needed that help. And she's coming back in January. We want to do it twice a year. Not very many agencies do that. Uh, I, I kind of feel like you're, you're painting kind of a bleak picture of, of, of being a, a, a police officer today. And I, I wonder, and, and obviously, yeah, the, the atmosphere uh, has changed, like just, just in the time that you've, uh, that you've served. And, and I just, I wonder, like, are, you know, are, are, would you be able to make the pitch, say like a, a young, young person comes to you and says like, should I pursue a career in policing in Eureka, California? What, what, you don't what would you dabble say to that in policing. That's the first thing. Okay. Uh, and I know you won't, maybe fully know what you're getting into unless you have a family member or you've went on a lot of ride-alongs or you found some kind of connection. Um, but yes, this, this industry, this profession, this calling, and that's what it is. It's a calling or it should be not just a job uh, mm -hmm. needs good people. And now more than ever, every generation is going to have a challenge and a crisis. Now I challenge you to find one that's faced more you know, in recent memory than the current generation, but every generation has a challenge. And, uh, you know, it's still an amazing, wonderful profession. I'm glad you asked that, pointed that out, uh, Andrew. Um, you know, it's still something I do encourage people to come into your community needs you, despite the, the national rhetoric and you get usually smaller groups that are the loud barking dogs locally. I truly believe the majority of the community respects and appreciates their police officers, knows that they need them. Uh, this has been backed up by the cards and the, the goodies and the well wishes and someone buys you coffee in front of you in the morning going through or the other ways you're mm -hmm. out walking 
downtown during when the Christmas tree was here and all the people that come up say, Hey, I appreciate you guys. Thank you. Yeah. You know? And so that's invigorating. And so what I would say is this, I spent all the way until my mid twenties trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life and feeling empty and lost and increasingly frustrated and starting to get frankly, quite worried. I went in the army for a while. I, uh, I tried the ministry. Uh, I was afraid of public speaking. So that didn't work. I have overcome that since then. Uh, I did not realize I'd be speaking so much in public as a cop. Um, I tell some stories. I went into teaching and I met a fifth grade class in a fluent community. And I decided I had one of those light bulb moments. I decided I was going to do something less stressful and more safe with my life. And I became a cop. And that is a hundred percent true story. So I have my teaching credential. God bless our teachers. I chose policing because I thought it would be less stressful. Wow. Uh, and so every day yeah. you wake up with a sense of meaning. That's what's fueled me through the years. I'm so proud when someone asks what I do or, I, you know, uh, and I come in, I just know, hey, this is this is important work. It, it matters. Uh, you may not make a difference to the whole world or fix everybody's problems. You're not going to fix 10 years of bad parenting and poor life choices in one call. But there are opportunities yeah. almost every day to make a difference in somebody's life, even if it's individual uh, you know, or one call out of 30 that's there. And you look back and, you know, I've had people come up to me years later. Now I'll tell you a story super quick. Sorry. I'm rambling again. No, no, no. I said, this is, this is your exit interview, yeah. Steve. I said, <laughs> Ramble away. Steve. Betty Chen came to see me a couple of days ago. It was so sweet. Wish me well wishes, brought me a box of chocolates and all of that. I mean, just an amazing friend and person. You all know that. Um, but she yeah. told me a story. So last year, our department was making the rounds with her kids and her programs when we were delivering Christmas presents. And so I had a little girl that I delivered presents to, spent a few minutes with her. You know, it was sweet, it was special, beautiful little girl. Well, Betty went on to explain, I want to be careful, I don't get into too much details, but the little girl had been subject to abuse in her life. And she unfortunately found herself in a situation sometime after our meeting where she was back with the abuser who essentially started to try to do the same thing. And she told them, don't you touch me. I know the chief of police. Mm. And mm. the point out of that is so many people uh, fear the police. I mean, you're walking down the street and the mom grabs a little Johnny and says, Hey, you better do what I tell you to do, or I'm going to have that officer arrest you. You know who I'm going to arrest? I'm going to arrest that parent. Because I hate that. I want kids to see us as their protectors and their guardians, not some kind of occupying warriors. We can be that warrior when the shots are yeah. fired in an active shooter situation, and we will. We'll run to the sound of gunfire. Sets us apart. But day to day, we want people to feel like they can come to us. They can trust us. We want children to know that we're their friends and their protectors. And so uh, to be able to, you know, instead of meeting a little child at, uh, you know, an event where, where we're responding to their home and their mother was just beat up by their father or some other terrible thing happened. And they see us take someone away and here handcuffs, right? To see us in a different environment where we're just a human being, we're a father, a brother, a sister, you know, and to meet them in an environment and interact with them in a way that's much more human and down to earth and establish that trust is so meaningful. Uh, and again, the fuel that keeps officers going, I think, when they understand the importance of relational policing. And so for a little child to have a different perspective of a police officer, maybe than they've seen in the past, and then feel empowered by that and protected by that, 
it's just so meaningful. And I'm going to remember mm-hmm. that story the rest of my, my life. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, I can uh, relate a, l- a little bit in just like, it seems like there's a, there's a lot of noise out in the world right now, right? Like there was with and a lot of it generated by social media, um, you know, like our, our, our pr- profession is, is under fire from certain segments of the population, as is yours, as is, you know, nurses and doctors and all this stuff. And I just, yeah, it's, it is a, it is a rough time to be able to filter out just a lot of the, 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 unhelpful opinions that that exist out there in the world you know obviously there there are um there are time there's a time for needed critique and but you know it's 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 just yeah there's a lot going on right now but um i wanted to uh, just switch as you're talking more about your uh successor uh, again you know let's, let's let's talk about like the eureka that whoever succeeds you will be responsible for policing like what has been your biggest headache as chief? Like what in your mind is like the, the issue facing Eureka that you have, you've just had a hard time figuring out how to solve? I think without question, that's the, the homelessness and mental illness or, or what I call the tragic uh, triad. It's homelessness, mental, untreated mental illness and addiction. And they work together in this, this evil synergistic effect to exasperate all of those problems. And so, you know, we're in a situation, um, I I heard Herman Goldstein, the father of modern policing called it mission creep. And Mm -hmm. that police officers are are basically charged with filling the gaps in a broken and under-resourced system. Because we work 24 seven, so often there's no one else. Well, we're not equipped and funded to be licensed mental health professionals, you know, out there. I mean, that's not what we do. We, we, We do law enforcement and crisis response but not counseling and all those other things, or at least traditionally. Mm -hmm. And so being tasked with bearing that burden, uh, often alone or what feels like alone is a heavy burden. And so we've been working for years to try to make headway on homelessness. And we've made some progress, uh, but still, you know, the pandemic didn't help uh, because a lot of service providers, you know, were no longer out with people where they're at in the field and that created, I can tell you, I've heard firsthand stories by, you know, about this. Um, it, it's really exasperated the, prob- the problem when we've lost ground. The federal government and the state needs to go all in on meaningfully funding and supporting programs, um, starting with mental illness out there, you know, where people have places they can actually go and if they need to be conserved, that they are, that they're going to an appropriate mental health hospital, for example, or receiving treatment and medications and the follow-up and all of that. And yeah. so the jail or the emergency department, which it is right now, is not the de facto mental health triage center. That's a yeah. development in the last year where everyone's going to the emergency departments instead of going to Simpervirons first. And yeah. instead of a turnaround of a few hours, it's turned into days, in some cases, weeks. And you have combative people in there you know, the police are being called to manage those situations because the nurses and doctors aren't equipped to do that. And meanwhile, people are stacked up in the hallway with more traditional medical problems. You know, mm-hmm. they can't get a room because, you know, you have 10 people out of 20 beds are there in mental health holds. That's a freaking problem. And so we've been having some high level meetings uh, with um, stakeholders in the community to try to address this and some changes have been initiated, start to help move things in a better direction. Uh, but we're not anywhere near that. And, uh, you know, you look at, uh, you know, DHHS behavioral health, 
even with money, they're having a hard time, you know, actually hiring people to come here, stay and work in those positions as well. And that's mm. another issue. So the homelessness and how to get upstream of that issue. In 2017, 2018, we started to make a big shift from the police department standpoint, from a lot of enforcement, kind of out of necessity, trying to maintain order, responding to complaints, uh, to um, outreach and services and relationship building, working with stakeholders, enforcement only as a last resort, you know, when we need to, we started a diversion program with, with um, you know, not great results yet, because getting people able and willing to comply hasn't been good. Uh, mm-hmm. We worked with the city attorney this, this, this year to dismiss uh, 160 something outstanding bench warrants, almost all homeless related things oh, like, wow. you know, camping and things like that. I raised nearly a million dollars in fines uh, that were out there. Uh, these were up to, I think, 2017 or so, because we have not issued a, like a fraction of the number of citations since then. Uh, and again, that doesn't mean that we're not out there addressing community complaints, but there's such a limited value in arrests for really low level things that no one's going to do jail time for yeah. and, uh, you know, at all. You're spinning your wheels, you're wasting your time in many regards. Those need to be safe or really recalcitrant people you know, blatantly violating the law, damaging property. Yeah, we're going to arrest for that. Um, you know, but, you know, that, that sea change with the CSET team, the community safety engagement team, Eureka's Uplift Eureka, you know, and what they do and the co-pilots working with the homeless and job skills training and getting an ID and a birth certificate to get into housing. And our two teams working together with community stakeholders has been a major change that mm-hmm. I believe needs to be expanded. We want to do like MIST plus the mobile intervention and services team where you have trained officers and crisis intervention and mental health uh, intervention with trained caseworkers and licensed clinicians. We want to expand that. Uh, our own version of uh, CAHOOTS in Eugene, which is not a one-size-fits-all program, but bring in a medical component like a nurse, licensed clinician, case manager embedded in the city, not to supplant uh, DHHS's efforts, for example, to augment and to expand our program to the next level. And that's in the works right now. Long answer to your question. No, is that, um, well, I was, I was going to ask, uh, you know, you, you mentioned having, you know, meetings with kind of high level stakeholders in this. And, and, and I was going to ask what your, your kind of dream thing to come out of that might be, but you mentioned this, this cahoots program in, in Eugene, which I think I've heard of, but like, Maybe, yeah, maybe you could just talk a little bit more about what that would that looks like and what it would look like here in Eureka. So in Eugene, it's a privately run thing. Um, okay. And you can look that up, but they have like uh, trained medics and, uh, you know, mental health professionals that are direct dispatched on many calls that are not violent, uh, maybe even in progress involving someone in, a, uh, let's say, a mental health crisis, yeah. essentially bypassing the police unless things escalate. Now, they claim higher rates of reduction in police calls for service and millions of dollars in savings. I think you yeah. have to kind of get into the weeds on the numbers. I just went through a data analysis class in graduate school, taught yeah. me that one. But there's no question they've had some successes in the idea has a lot of merit. Again, I just don't think you could take cahoots and transplant it automatically to most communities. What you do is sure. you look at, hey, what are they doing right? What works? What fits for us? And for us, the idea would be to add those components to our uplift and CSET programs. Eventually, hopefully, where in many cases they could 
um, directly respond to some calls where the police don't have to get involved. Now, Sergeant LaFrance, he was on the streets every day dealing with these issues, has our CSET team. He believes with our unique element, there's you know, a lot of potential for violence out there. Mm -hmm. uh, often a co-response is going to be needed, but it's still a step in the right direction. And again, away from handcuffs is the only first thing we reach for in our belt to getting upstream of the problem and interventions. And, and, and they've had some success, CSET has, substantial success right now since the 5150 holds involuntary mental health detentions and the SV announced emergency department. That's created such a backlog and problem. They've been able to do early interventions and avoid even having to take them there. And so that's a trend as well. Uh, there could be potentially embedding from time to time, peak hours, a trained someone trained in mental health you know, with the communication center uh, that directly takes certain mental health related calls and maybe is able to resolve them at that level. And so a dispatcher isn't on the phone trying to do that an officer isn't necessarily being sent. So ideas and concepts like that, they're very doable. We can do that here. And I'm going to miss not being here. I've uh, been advocating for it for a good year now. I know the city manager is very supportive of this concept. Council, absolutely. You know, CSET, Sergeant of France wants to see it. It's been slower than we we wanted and obviously staffing's not helping the budget was horrible last year budget much better this year so i see uh this happening in the near future yeah it seems like that would please a, a lot of different parties involved and i i, I say like I, I noticed that we're getting near the the time that we we have a, a lot of these for these things so i just wanted to you know in kind of moving towards closing just kind of ask you um, you know, what, what is something that you've accomplished uh, as chief that, that maybe you're proudest of? Well, the first thing I would say is any leader that could be judged as a, a decent leader, a, a good leader is, is just that because they surround themselves with great people. And so I'm very appreciative of uh, many of the, the leaders uh, and the people I've surrounded myself with in this department in their contributions. I hope that through that process, they learned from me as well, and that I was able to be a mentor and, and to contribute and kind of set that foundation up. You know, who you hire and who you promote are two of the most significant ways to change a culture. And I can't promise I've always got it 100% right, but I do feel that we've hired and promoted many great people. Um, we have not bent on our standards for hiring and recruiting people here. I'd be fully staffed, I'm telling you straight up right now. There are other agencies I could name that have hired people that we did not because of real concerns I had in the background. And that's a balancing act because if you look for perfect people, you'll have no one, including no chief. Yeah. Uh, but you want to try to hold the line when you're looking for character and are you recruiting for the type of, of, of people and characteristics and abilities that you want displayed in your police officers and your professional staff for mm -hmm. and what does the community expect of their police department because you have to always be mindful of that so that's that's part of it um i do believe that we have started ourselves well on the way to meaningful culture change and uh you know that's very meaningful to me the the community safety engagement team um you know i think it came at a timely time and i'm proud that we created that program during this time that we switch gears with how we're addressing the number one problem in our community, homelessness. I mean, we arrest yeah. serial burglars and I mean, uh, 
robbers left and right. We catch those guys. Homicide clearance rates. <laughs> uh, we're doing a great job in the traditional law enforcement. We have fantastic people. But homelessness has just been so challenging, not just for yeah. our community, but everywhere. Yeah. And so that's that's part of it. Um, I had the privilege of starting and leading problem order policing team back in 2010. And I'm very proud of that still to this day. It's continued. Again, I'm really proud of many of the men and women we've hired and dispatch mm-hmm. professional positions and, and the officers that make me feel good about Eureka being in good hands yeah. in that regard. They'll do right by their community. Well, yeah, I just uh, want to say, you know, from from for us, and you've always been very um, forthcoming uh, with us, and and I think I speak for everyone at Loco when we just say we, you know, appreciate, uh, yeah, the, the 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 job you've done and and um, the way that your your candor and how you've you've worked with us, and so, and one one more thing in closing, you're about to have a lot of free time and free brain space. Uh, on Maybe I'm not so yeah, sure. It well, sounds like you are going to have a lot. Andrew, of are time. you offering me a job? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Would you? Um, would so you we like were to thinking go? You might want to photograph make crime scenes for Los Cosmos. Yeah. Does that interest you at all? No, I was just going to say, like, how how do you plan to indulge? For some reason, I I have this idea that you maybe are wanting to travel, or, or I don't know where 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 are you going to go? My wife and I were just talking about that because again. I, I didn't fully plan all of this, this, you know, out. And um, so we would like to take a trip uh, sometime in the next two, three months, uh, you know, somewhere just to relax. And so I could kind of connect the retirement with the trip. Eventually yeah. I'd like to travel overseas again. I just don't want to do it when I have to wear a mask, you know, okay. everywhere. Um, I'm really interested in teaching maybe at the local academy and colleges, uh, possibly yeah. consulting. I will see Well, I haven't built a business in consulting yet. So we'll have to see where that goes, but I feel like I have a lot to offer still. I want to stay connected to, um, the industry and up to speed with current events. I, I try to read widely, uh, on various information sources about the state of policing, crime and justice in the country. And so that's why I say I'm retiring, not retiring, is I'm very interested. I've been on the Cal Chiefs Board of Directors for several years now, the Region 1 rep and on the training committee. So I'll be a retired chief member, but there may be those some opportunities I can contribute there, um, you know, at that, that larger, that state level where, you know, important decisions are made. And they work with elected officials on a lot of the changes to the law, trying to find balance uh, so yeah, we'll see. Uh, I, I've had people tell me you need to take two to three months off and do absolutely nothing. I, Sounds yeah, really good in theory. I think that's what I would do in your, in your shoes, yeah. but I, you know, the one I'm, officer just told different. me yesterday, you're crazy. You'd never make it doing that. So yeah. I don't know what to do. We'll see. <laughs> well, yeah. cool. Uh, we'll, again, we'll bug yeah, you yeah, every once in a yeah. while just to yeah. say, Hey, and <laughs> glad that yeah, you're knows, Maybe you'll need a, a, a retired law enforcement perspective on an issue or story. Yeah, I, yeah. We, we we do need that often, and we will. We, <laughs> I'm. I guess you're volunteering, so we will. We will yes, for that for absolutely. that role. Well, again, again, yeah. Steve. Thank you for for your willingness to step into yet another Zoom meeting and uh, try and try and have a retirement. Have a happy, restful, as much as it can be retirement. Well, thank you both for having me. And, uh, you know, we talked about some important topics, certainly. If I could just close on one thing other than reiterating, I have appreciated the relationship with local media over the years. We've even had a couple of workshops where we've talked down, yeah. sat down together and worked out issues and things. I, I view the media uh, at, to a, with, within certain lanes as community partners <laughs> and safety, if that makes sense. Yeah. 
finally, I just want to say one, thank you for all the members of the community over the years that have supported the Eureka Police Department that have supported me and encouraged me. Uh, you know who you are. It's just been extremely meaningful. And maybe those relationships in answer to an earlier question are one of the things I'm most proud of or most appreciative of. And I finally want to conclude just with the men and women past and present of the Eureka Police Department. I mean, I could not be more proud uh, to have been able to, to serve beside you and to lead you for your sacrifices, for your, your courage every day um, that you put it on the line. Your family served too, and I'm very appreciative of that. And it's been truly an honor to serve Eureka in the Eureka Police Department for nearly 17 years now. I'm a, I'm a blessed man uh, with that and so appreciative of the opportunities that we've had. And um, you'll always be in my heart. All right, one, one last you. time, Police Chief Steve Watson, we, we thank you for your time. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Okay, well, thank you so much again to outgoing Eureka Chief of Police, Steve Watson, for taking a little bit of time to talk to us before he retires. Yeah. I mean, that guy's going to have nothing but time, so. I think. Uh, I mean, it sounds like he's got some other stuff going on in his life, no, too. But yeah. he, he sounds like, he seems like the type that's not going to be able to just sit on a beach and, and sip a martini. You sip a martini on a beach? Yeah, I don't, I've never heard of that before, but... Okay. Well, anyway, thank you again to Chief Watson, and thank you, everybody, for listening. Once again, we want to remind our listeners that Humble Holding Up is generously sponsored by the North Coast Co-op. You know, as somebody who lives at Arcata and works in Old Town, I spend an awful lot of time going to the co-op, both for my grocery shopping and lunch eating needs. Yeah. What about you, Goff? Well, I, I mentioned the salad, but the other thing I get often is the, uh, I get the, the, the sushi, you know, they got the, the sushi oh, yeah, yeah. stand there and I, I go and I'll get the, 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 the poke bowl. You ever had the poke bowl? Oh yeah. I love the poke bowl. And I also oh. love the, the popcorn tofu. That's a, that's a fan favorite. I'm told very popular in, in Humboldt County. They refer to it as hippie crack. Am I not you heard it here first. <laughs> No, I think it's great. I think uh, you've you've personalized the product and uh, everybody's going to rush down to the North Coast Co-op to get that hippie crack. That's right. Check out the North Coast Co-op, a Humboldt's organic community-owned grocery store since 1973. You know, speaking of uh, Cypress Grove, as we were a bit ago, uh, I, I assume that most people know, but this is a this is a goat cheese that they're offering. You, you, you know that stuff? I, I was aware, yeah. And they very much, uh, they, they pride themselves on the, the health and happiness of their goats. And I am on the uh, cypressgrovecheese.com website, which coincidentally enough is a great place to go and buy Cypress Grove cheese. And I, sure, and I went to their uh, about us uh, slash dairy uh, section, and I'm, and I'm looking at uh, nice photos of adorable goats just looking happier than me really yeah. is what's what's important here and you're a, I, you're a goat I, man you're a, you're a keeper of goats so you would I have, appreciate this a lot i have some goats but they don't make cheese and i'm <laughs> starting to wonder why they don't they're not pulling their weight is <laughs> yeah what I'm, their so purpose. i'm gonna take my goats uh show them this website on uh my phone and say get to work goats be more <laughs> like the cypress grove 
goats. Well, I'm happy to hear that Cypress go beef some really healthy, happy goats. And it shows because their cheese is delicious and happy goats make delicious cheese. Everybody knows that. So yeah, check out, Cypress, <laughs> check out cypressgrove.com, buy some of their delicious cheese, or you can find it at like any of the local grocery stores, like the North Coast Co-op. They're Good also a sponsor. <laughs> Good tie-in, Steph. <laughs> Thank you.